Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Good morning. This is, this is a new mic we're trying out. Well, it's the old one, but we'll see how it works today. So um, just thankful for everybody to be here this morning. It's good to, to be here. I'm thankful for uh, Grayson's willingness to read that passage. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we look at the faith of Abraham. Uh, the faith of Abraham is something that I've thought a lot about since... Is it okay? Okay, it kind of sounds funny. It, it's something I've, I've really thought a lot about since I was a kid. Um, when I was really young, I had this Bible that my parent or that my grandparents gave me. It was this big blue Bible, and I thought not only was it really cool because it had my name at the bottom of it, but it, also you could turn through it and it had pictures. I mean, that, that was awesome. I went to church, and I, I looked at the Bibles there. They didn't have the pictures. You might find a map, but they had pictures, and it, it was really cool to me. And one of the pictures that always stuck out to me is the one that's in the background here. Uh, this is a picture that, that I've, I've looked at, and even before I could read, I thought, man, what's going on here? There's a lot going on in that picture. I mean, you got this, this angel, and he's stopping the hand of this guy, and he's sacrificing this younger guy, and then there's a, a ram over here, and I don't know what that's all about. But it, when I was a kid, it just struck me. And when I got older and I started getting into studying the Word of God a lot more, this is something that I thought a lot about. I thought a lot about Abraham and his faith when we looked at, at what Grayson just talked about this morning. And it's such a, a strong showing of faith. 
And what a wonderful example of faith. And it's a faith that we should all truly strive to have. And that's a true, genuine faith like Abraham had. Before we get too much into looking at his faith and the aspects of his faith, I want to think about what took place before he actually sacrificed, what led up to this point where he's, he's going to sacrifice his son. And we read he's fully willing to sacrifice his son. He's ready to do it. He's got his hand, he's got his knife, he's about to bring the knife down, and God stops him. And sure enough, he's provided for And just thinking about that and just looking at the context of what we read this morning, that's a wonderful, great faith. But if you look at what happened before, you see it's an even deeper faith. It's a faith rooted in the promise of God. And what a wonderful thing that is to understand that we can have a true faith in God and be able to trust in his faith. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse one, it says, now the Lord said unto Abraham, get thee out of the country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land which I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What we see here is a promise that God made to Abraham. And if you read throughout the the life of Abraham, you see this promise over and over and over being made to him that he would have a son, and through that son, a great lineage would come about. And through that lineage, a great nation would be brought about. And through that, that lineage, there would also be a blessing to everyone. And we know that to be Christ this morning, the blessing of Jesus Christ. But you know, that wasn't an easy wait for Abraham. And we look at Abraham's example of faith here, and we know that just like you and I, his faith had its ups and downs. You think about his wait, his, him and Sarah, they're waiting for Isaac to be born. They get a little antsy, don't they? Hagar's brought into the equation. Abram has a son with Hagar named Ishmael. That causes a lot of dissension between Sarah and Hagar, and eventually Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. But eventually it happened, and eventually God fulfilled the promise that he promised to Abraham, that he would have a son, a son Isaac. And we see that in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 2 where it says, For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. Here's the key word here, in his old age. Sarah laughed at this idea. But it happened. You know why? Because God promised it. And God always fulfills his promises. And that's something that we can base our faith on this morning. And as we look through this and we, we look through at the aspects of Abraham's faith, I want us to examine those and understand that we can have that kind of faith also. But you know, Abraham, they had this son and, and there was great joy in that, but that joy wasn't, it wasn't gonna last. Because in Genesis chapter 22, we, as we read, we see that he was asked to do something that would be imaginable to us. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did, att- did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. Here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him up for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. So he's waited and he's waited for the son. 
And it finally happens, and all of a sudden, now God's saying, go sacrifice him. Go kill him. I can't imagine the pain that must have caused Abraham. The suffering that he must have been going through in his heart. And I have to ask myself, how would I react in a situation like that? How would I, how would my faith stand up in a situation like that? And I want to examine faith, the faith of Abraham through this trial. The first aspect of Abraham's faith is that his faith led to obedience. His faith was strong enough that it led to action. It led to obedience. We see in this count, again, that Abraham's faith wasn't just something that he talked about. It wasn't just something that was on his mind. It was something that he lived that he was willing to submit to God's word because his faith was so strong. It was more than just a blind faith. It was more than just a feeling. In James chapter two and verse 21, it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest then how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect. You see, Abraham, again, was not just something he talked about. He didn't just talk about his love for God. He listened to what God would have him to do, and he did it. He was obedient. It led to action. And our faith should do the same this morning. Our faith in God and his word should lead us to action. It should lead us to live a life of service to him. As it was said in the prayer this morning, we need to be that living sacrifice. You know, throughout the word of God, if you look at faith, if you look at a true faith, throughout the history of the word of God, throughout the history of the Bible, what you see is a faith that leads to obedience. No matter what period of time that you're looking at in the word of God, if a man had a true faith, it led to his obedience. We see it in the patriarchal dispensation. We see it with Abel. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse four, it says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Why was his more excellent than Cain's? Well, it was because he was obedient to God and his word. It wasn't because God liked Abel better. It was because he did, Abel did what God asked him to do. You think about Noah, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse seven, it says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Think about Noah for just a second. Noah could have said he had a great faith. Noah could have talked all about how wonderful, how close of a relationship he has with God, but what would have happened if he wasn't willing to be obedient and build that boat? He would have drowned just like everybody else. His faith required obedience, just like Abraham's. You can move over into the Mosaical dispensation and you can see several examples of faith that led to obedience. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30, it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. This is one that's always amazed me. I can just imagine Joshua as he's leading them into battle and God says, just walk around the city. And if you do it like I tell you to, the walls are gonna fall down. You don't even have to touch the wall. 
But you know what? God told him that would happen. And guess what happened when he was obedient to God? The walls fell down. His faith led to obedience, even if maybe he didn't quite understand it. What he understood is that that's what God said and that's what would happen. Do we have that kind of faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, we see several more examples. It says, and what shall I, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, uh, Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David also and Samuel and, his, and uh, of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Do you know why they were successful? Because their faith led to obedience, and they did what God asked them to do. Their faith was more than just a feeling. There was substance to that. And they followed God's word and did what God asked them to do. We look at today in the Christian, Christian dispensation and we think about Acts chapter eight, verse 12. It says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. These men and women heard the preaching of Philip and they responded by being obedient to God through baptism. And yet today we have so many people that will look at the word of God and feel that baptism really isn't that important. We could have a whole lesson teaching about this, but the the idea is, is we can look in the word of God and we see evidence and more and more evidence of people who obeyed the gospel during their conversion was completed through baptism. And yet, most of the religious world will will tell you today that you just need to say that prayer, that you just need to ask God into your heart. And my question is, where does it say that in the word of God? Because that's where our faith needs to rely. It needs to lie not in our hearts or our feelings or our beliefs, but in the word of God. Is our faith strong enough to lead to obedience? Because really, what is faith without obedience? You know, James chapter 2 tells us exactly what faith without obedience is. He says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them those things which are needful for, to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is a God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And then you skip down to verse 24, and it says, Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. We can talk about a faith in us, but if we're not willing to show it in our lives, it's a dead faith. If we're not willing to submit to the word of God, our faith is dead. We're just talking. We've got to have a faith that's shown through the way we live our lives. It's shown through our service to him. Do we have that kind of faith that leads to obedience?
Not only was Abraham, did Abraham's faith lead to obedience, his faith led to him to do exactly what God told him to do. You see, when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he was pretty specific in what he was asking him to do. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2, he says, And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. This is pretty specific, isn't it? God tells him, he says, I want you to take your son, that's who you're going to sacrifice, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah, and I'm going to tell you which mountain I want you to go sacrifice him on, and I want it as a burnt offering. Pretty specific, isn't it? There's not a lot of question to what God wants him to do here. But what if Abraham had just said, you know, sacrificing my son, that seems pretty brutal. I've got this bull, I think it'll do. It'll be fine. Do you think that would have been acceptable to God? I submit to you, no, because that's not what God asked him to do. What if he said, you know, land of Moriah, is a, that's a three-day journey. It's going to take a lot of work. I don't really, I think God will be okay with me just doing this in my backyard. It'll be fine. Do you see the problem with that type of thinking? That type of thinking puts our thoughts and what we think God would have us do above what God has actually told us to do. And sadly, we are seeing that so often these days. People who are more willing to follow their hearts, their desires, because they think that that's what God would want. You know, our society has changed so much over the years. Really, it's, it's, just, not, it's just not applicable, applicable to us anymore. Do we have a faith enough to listen to what God has told us and do what he has told us? Or are we more interested in doing what we think would be acceptable to him? I think of Noah also, another example of Noah. We've already talked a little bit about him this morning, but when you think of Noah, we, we were lucky enough to go to the Ark Encounter just south of Cincinnati, and yeah, they took some liberties on some things, and, but overall, you see the magnitude of what took place. The thing is massive. There were no cranes. There were no, this was done by hand without the, the modern tools of today. This is a huge job. And not only that, just the day-to-day living inside would have been a massive thing. Noah could have easily said, you know, I don't really like giraffes. Their necks are really long. And that's gonna mean that I'm gonna have to build a really tall ceiling. Maybe I should just get rid of them. Surely God will be okay with that. I mean, really, what good do they do anyway? Again, That's not what God asked him. And and we know that Noah was faithful enough to be obedient to exactly what God asked him to do. We see that in Genesis chapter six and verse 22. It says, thus did Noah according to all that that God commanded him, so did he. He did exactly what God said because that's what God expected of him. And God expects the same from us today. That we search out his word and we try to look to his word to see exactly what he, he would want us to do, how he would want us to live our lives, how he would want us to serve him on a daily basis, and we strive to do that. And we make that our goal. And we forget about what we think or what we want or what our hearts desire. And we trust in God's word enough to know that there's a reason that he told us to do it. But we also must realize that there's a consequence 
for not doing what God has asked us to do. For thinking about our own hearts and our own own desires. The word of God says our heart is evil, that it will lead us down the wrong paths. It will lead us to destruction. And we've got to be careful that we're more concerned about what God has asked us to do than what we want or what we feel or what we think God wants. And I think there's no better story to explain that than the story of Uzzah. You know, when you think about the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 14, you think about there were a lot of rules that went with the Ark of the Covenant. And you can read all about those rules, but one of those rules was how that they were to transport the Ark. And we see that how they were supposed to transport that in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 14. It says, and they shall put the poles in the rings on the sides of the Ark and carry the ark by them. So they were to put poles in these rings and the Levites were supposed to carry this ark. That's how God asked them to do it. Well, they got this great idea that maybe we should just build this cart. So this was the first problem, I think. You, you, you get this idea that a cart would transport the ark a lot easier when it's pulled by some oxen. Sounds reasonable. Sounds like a good idea. I'm going to tell you, Uzzah found out that wasn't such a good idea because as he was standing close to that, which he probably shouldn't have been standing that close to it anyway, it starts to rock in the ark. And you, when I've always thought of this, I always, have y'all ever seen those YouTube videos with the dad reflexes? You got the dad laying on the couch and the baby's up at his head and the baby falls head first and he reaches out and catches it. That's, that's how I've always pictured this. As Uzzah having some kind of dad reflex where that thing starts rocking, he puts his hand up there. I don't know if that's what happened. I mean, I just assumed when I was a kid, I was about six years old and I was making a, a frozen pizza, which I shouldn't have been because I was too young for that. And I, I put on this uh, oven mitt on this hand and I pulled the pizza out. Well, it starts, I start losing control of it and I reach up with my other ungloved hand and I grab the pan and it burned me bad on my hand and I dropped the pizza. So not only did I lose the use of my hand, I lost my lunch. It was reaction. And that's just how I always thought about Uzzah is that reaction of him just reaching up. But I'm gonna tell you, it led to his death. Samuel chapter six and verse six, it says, when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen shook it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. He died. Whether it was a reaction or not, the idea that they knew better about what God wanted than God did, this was the direct result of that. And how many times do we want to say that, well, surely God is going to be okay with that. Surely God is going to be okay if I miss a church service or two or three or five. And we get to that point in our head, well, really, it's not about going to church anyway. You see, we convince ourselves our wants and our desires because our heart is evil. And you look at verses like Proverbs 14 and verse 12, where it says, there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's where our heart will lead us. Are we more interested in our heart and our desires or are we more interested in God's word? If we have the kind of faith that God wants us to have, we're gonna be more interested in his word. Another thing about Abraham's faith is that his faith did not question God. 
Abraham finally had this son. He knew the promise that God had made to him, that through him, this great nation would be brought about and that everybody would be blessed through it. And you think about what must have been going on in his head when God said, you need to go sacrifice this son that you love. The pain, the anguish. But we have no evidence at all that Abraham questioned why. In fact, we see the next morning he gets up and he goes and does it. Genesis chapter 22 and verse three, it says, and, he ro- and Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave to the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. He didn't question God. This is what God asked him to do and he did it. Let me tell you so many times in my life, when I'm going through the suffering, and Carrie talked some about this last week. But I have a hard time not saying, God, why? Why am I going through this? Why is this so hard for me? Why, how long is this gonna last, God? And I'm so focused on the here and now that I forget the promises that God made for me. And I'm convinced that that's why Abraham was to fulfill this. That's why his faith was so strong because he truly trusted in God's word. And I think we see that in the next couple of verses. This is some, these these next verses are are a couple that always amaze me and they've always stuck out to me. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse four, it says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Just read that, you're kind of like, well, yeah. But think about what he says in verse five. He says, you guys stay here. I and the lad are gonna go. And basically, we're both coming back. Think about that. He had complete confidence in God. And if you read on in verse, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17, you see where his faith was. You see his understanding here. He said, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in thy seed, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. That's faith. He said that we're gonna go and we're gonna come back because he knew that even if he had to go through with what God had asked him to do, that God could raise him from the dead. What faith. That's why he didn't question God because he he trusted in the promises of God. Do we trust in the promises of God like Abraham? I've talked to you guys about this quite a bit, but I'm kind of a, when it comes to me suffering and and things going wrong in my life, I'm kind of a a glass half empty kind of guy. And that's something I've worked hard on my whole life. It's tough. It's hard for me. And Philippians 4, 6 has been a crutch, but it's a promise. Philippians 4, 6, Paul is saying, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a promise. 
But yet I get into these, these times in my life where I'm struggling and things are going wrong for me and I forget that promise. Where I don't truly trust in that promise, is it really gonna be okay? God said it would. Even if I lose my life, I have something better promised. Can't I just trust in that? That's the faith. That's the faith in the promises that God has made to us that we don't have to ask why. That we don't have to ask how long am I gonna suffer because I know it's not gonna last forever if I truly trust in God and his word and his promises just like Abraham did. That's the kind of faith we've gotta have, a faith that doesn't question God. Understand that good can come out of any situation if we're faithful to him. Another thing about Abraham's faith is that it was stronger than the inconvenience. You know, aside from the fact that God has asked him to sacrifice his son, which is to me very inconvenient, but just the act of what he's having to go through is inconvenient. God has told him to gather all of this stuff, put it on a donkey, get a couple of guys, travel for three days back then. I mean, no air conditioning as we, we have today. And then go to this place way far off, three-day journey, and climb up this mountain, take your son and sacrifice him. It's pretty inconvenient. But yet, I have a hard time sometimes after a hard day's work on a Wednesday night saying, I gotta drive 10 minutes I have to get back out of the house. That's pretty inconvenient for me. Or on a Saturday afternoon, if somebody calls me and needs help, saying, I'm gonna miss the ball game. Pretty inconvenient for me. And sadly, sometimes we make our decisions based on those minor inconveniences not to serve God. But when we look at the word of God and we look at the, the examples of these faithful men and women we see people like the eunuch who traveled over a thousand miles to worship God. And yet I have a hard time driving 10 miles to get to church sometimes. We start to realize that our struggles really aren't that bad, that the inconveniences really aren't too bad to overcome if we truly want to serve God. You know, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, then he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Christianity has always been about denying ourselves, even those minor inconveniences. When we become a Christian, we are told that we've got to deny ourselves that past sin, that past sinful life. We can't participate in those things anymore because we're a different person. Our lives have changed. We've got to deny ourselves, even though we want to, even though we're tempted to, to get back into that sin, we've got to deny ourselves that sin. Not only that, sometimes serving God may be a little bit inconvenient for ourselves. We might have to deny ourselves a little bit of time with our family or with our friends to go out and serve God, but I'm gonna tell you it's gonna be worth it. And I think we also see that not only was, was it stronger than the inconvenience, Abraham's faith was stronger than the cost. And I mean, his faith stood to cost him a lot. It stood to cost him his son that he loved. but he was faithful enough in God's promises once again to be obedient to God's word. The fact is, faith can be 
Our faith and obedience to God can be, it can cost us. It stands to cost us a lot, just like it does Abraham. Sometimes that's those minor inconveniences, that time with family, those things that we just talked about. But it could, it could cost us a lot more. I've known people who their families don't talk to them anymore because of their faith in God. Friendships, lifelong friendships that are broken because of one's faith. In some parts of the world, you could even lose your life because of your faith. Is our faith strong enough to suffer the cost? Luke chapter 14 and verse 25 says, and there was a great multitude with him and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it. He goes on to talk about a, a leader of an army who doesn't really count the cost when he has 10,000 to go face the 20,000. And when I think of this verse, I, I think of driving to Plainview. We, we took the drive down to Plainview yesterday and just north of town, there's this water park. I mean, what well, was supposed to be a water park. All it pretty much is, is I think they finished up with a little lazy river, but there's this big tower that was supposed to have slides and it was coming along really quick and then it just stopped. And four years later, it still stopped. It didn't count the cost. Too many times when we become Christians, we don't truly count the cost. We don't realize that it could cost us relationships. It could cost us jobs. It could cost us opportunities. It could cost us our life, possibly. Hopefully not, but it could. Are we willing to pay that cost? Is our faith strong enough to pay that cost? I hope so. I hope it is. We've got to be willing to make God the priority in our lives. As Jason said a couple weeks ago, he's not a priority. He's got to be the priority. And if serving him costs us those relationships, costs us those job opportunities, costs us our life, we have to understand that that's going to be worth it in the end. Because what he offers is far more valuable. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 28, then Peter began and said unto him, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there is no man that have left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and last shall be first. What we have to understand is that serving God provides us with many blessings. And this is not a financial blessing that God's going to take care of all of our finances and all. That's not what this is talking about. But I think of my life, and I think of the relationships that I sacrificed because I didn't know that I needed, I knew that I didn't need to be around that temptation anymore. But you know what I gained instead? 
everyone in this building. Because we sacrifice some, we deny ourselves some things, but we gain far more. And not only in this life, when we think about the spiritual blessings, but also in the life to come. Understanding that if we lose everything, because we serve Christ, if we lose our life, there's a promise of something far better waiting for us on the other side. Is our faith strong enough to overcome that cost? Now, I think of Abraham. And as we close this morning, we talked about how faith should lead to our obedience and that we should strive to do exactly what God has asked us to do. We think about how we should not question that. Our faith should not question God and that our our faith should be stronger than the inconvenience, that it should be stronger than the cost. The reason that we hear so much about the faith of Abraham is because he made God the priority. And I think there's no better example of somebody making God the priority than somebody who is willing to sacrifice their own son to serve God. Because in the end, that's exactly what God did for us. He sacrificed his son for us. And that's why we're here this morning. But you know, Abraham has a title that I think we should all strive to have when this life is over. In James chapter two and 23, it says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. The friend of God. What a title. Would God consider us his friend? Does our life, do we dedicate our lives to his service because of our faith in him and his word and his promises? I hope so. That should all be our goal. Our goal should be to have this title also, to be a friend of God. And if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, you can have that opportunity. You can start on that path. You, can, you, you hear the word, you believe it. You repent of your old life. You confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God and you're buried with him in baptism. We can help you with that this morning. And you can start on that journey with him and building that relationship with God and become that friend of God. Or maybe you're struggling this morning. Maybe you, you just are going through something in your life or temptation or just things are not happening for you. We talked about the blessing of, of the people in this room. We can pray for you. We can pray with you. If you come to the front while we stand and sing.